You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We are uh, learning all about wisdom, as Bryce was praying for, and if you're new, uh, this summer at the gate, we're... There's lots of places in scripture, in fact you could say all of it you can gain wisdom from as you read, but there are certain books which we call the Wisdom Literature uh, series, and the main one in there is the book of Proverbs. And so uh, we started this a few weeks ago, and uh, to begin, let's, let's remind ourselves of what wisdom is. Um, wisdom is the ability to know the difference between right and wrong, the difference between good and evil, but not just to know it, but how to apply that knowledge in a given situation, whatever it may be. So it's one thing to know, yeah, this is right and this is wrong, but it's a whole other thing, and it, and it takes wisdom to be able to move in a direction according to that knowledge, and that's what, uh, hopefully, as we read Solomon's wisdom, that's what we're going to be growing in, and, and I pray that we're gaining wisdom and insight for um, our unique situations in life. Um, last last Sunday, Pastor Greg shared with us uh, wisdom about the power of the tongue from Proverbs 18. Uh, King Solomon says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so that was a, a challenging message that I certainly needed to hear. And I pray that this morning as well will be a challenge. This morning I'm preaching on a topic that I definitely need. Um, It's a different one altogether, though, from last week. Let me begin first, though, by telling you uh, about an experience that I had last Sunday. I I had the opportunity to be downstairs in Kidsgate leading. And uh, in Kidsgate, what we've been doing for a few months anyways, I think since the fall, we've had a storybook Bible so it's got the Old Testament, it's got the New Testament, and, and there's stories from the Bible with pictures and, and questions and explanations and stuff. So we've been going through this um, for quite some time, and uh, we've jumped around a little bit, but for the most part what we've been doing is just when we finish one story, the next Sunday is the story that's you know on deck for what's going to be taught in Kidsgate. And it's awesome. It's I think it's like kind of old-fashioned like the teacher has a book we sit down and the kids gather or we stand up and read it and the kids listen and for the most part they're super engaged and they love it so um anyways i i selected a story that we would be reading or the next one in line and then i was informed that that one had already been done around christmas or something because we jumped around so i forgot so then i went to the next one in line lo and behold the story for last sunday in kids gate was the account from first kings uh, when the Lord gives Solomon a dream, and God says to Solomon, uh, you'll be king, ask me whatever you need, and I will grant it to you. And what does Solomon ask God for? Shout it out. Wisdom. Wisdom, right? And so th- there's this uh, connection, in my mind anyways, I'm like, I'm going to be able to read this story in Kidsgate, and upstairs they're going to be talking about King Solomon's wisdom as well. So I was like bugging out and really stoked, and I was telling the kids about this on, on the stage downstairs as I read the story, and they were kind of like, I don't see what's so exciting about this, but that's okay. I was really excited. So it's just a little testimony. 
Um, and this happens more often than, than you would expect in life and in ministry, where the Lord, you know, we make plans and he directs our steps. Things fall into place that are so much more than coincidences. And I think that this is a reason for us to just thank him and celebrate. Um, so that was, that was fun and very directly related. Um, kids learning, our learning. And I couldn't help but ask them as I read the story um, and went through, I couldn't help but stop and ask them, if you were in the position that King Solomon was in and God said to you, um, you know, Blair, whatever you need from me, just ask and I promise you that you'll have it. What would you ask for? What would you pray to God in faith that he would give to you. As you can imagine, the responses were super varied and very interesting. And then actually, one of the other leaders had planned an activity that kind of continued the process of fleshing this out. So between reading the story and doing the activity, I managed to hear what lots of the kids were asking God for. So one child prayed that God would give them wisdom. The right answer, you listen to the story. Good job. Uh, that's, that's the best, obviously, Sunday school answer. I've asked God for wisdom. That's what King Solomon did, and it worked out for him. Um, another one, with full sincerity, just simply said love. I would ask God for love, and that was very sweet. Another one said that they would pray and ask God for peace on earth. And these were just such great, you know, quite profound answers and really selfless and lovely and good things to ask God for, for sure. But to me, what was probably more interesting was some of the other answers. Um, when I asked the question, like right away, one kid put their hand up as if it was like a premeditated response. They knew exactly what they were asking God for. It was 40 video games. <laughs> I was like, how did you come up with that so fast? Like, do you have a list of the ones you want or why? It's just a lot of games for sure. So I get that. Um, another one simply said a million dollars and then they rephrased it. And I think what they said was a million dollarinos. So that's same as a million dollars. Makes sense. Um, one said they wanted a puppy. Two both said that they wanted a baby hamster one of which was my daughter, and she's not getting a baby hamster, so she's got to keep praying for that. <clears throat> so there's lots of good ones. My favorite, my personal favorite, though, it said, what would you ask God for in a prayer where you knew that he would give you whatever you asked for? I would ask for all the gummy worms in the world in my mouth, <laughs> which is insane and awesome. <laughs> all the gummy worms in the world in my mouth. Again, like, this was already in his brain, so. <laughs> um, craziness. So, lots of variety there. Um, I think that sometimes, perhaps in our praying, we're more like the first few kids that I mentioned, where we, we pray for the things which we know you know, we're supposed to pray for the things that are in line with God's will that we've read in Scripture. You know, God wants us to have our minds set on these higher things like love and, and peace and, uh, and whatnot. But as I, 
you know, considered the responses of some of the other kids, like I said, I was, I, I kind of felt like I was right there with them. Perhaps not in my you know, prayers to God, but maybe more so in my behaviors or actions or subconscious thinking. So what would we honestly ask God for if we were in the position of King Solomon? What would we pray for? So this morning, this is what I'm going to be talking about, is, is the human desire for, for stuff, for wealth, for accumulation of things. Um, Proverbs talks a lot about money. The Bible talks a lot about money. And Proverbs in general, in its posture towards money, is positive. Uh, overall, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make us feel like money is a bad thing to have or that we shouldn't earn money or anything like that. But um, we're going to be doing a different message later in the summer, which talks more about that application. But Proverbs does talk about uh, greed. It talks about greed. It talks about materialism. And so uh, this morning, that's what we're going to be wrestling with. So we'll read a few Proverbs that address this, not all of them. Uh, We'll also read from other places in Scripture where God tells us about greed, how we should what our perspective should be, how we should handle our money in, in a way that pleases him and that is not selfish and so on. Proverbs 28, verse 22 and 25 says this, A greedy one is in a hurry for wealth. He does not know that poverty will come to him. A greedy person stirs up conflict, but whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. So if we remember the wise person and the foolish person, here we see that they're both in front of us. Um, obviously, the foolish one is, is the person who's greedy. They're chasing after wealth, and they don't know that poverty will come to them. On the other hand, the wise person, the person who is actually prosperous, gains this by doing what? By trusting. By trusting in God. Whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. I should mention, as we read this, that there's a very prevalent and easy way to misinterpret what King Solomon is saying here, and that is the thought process where, it's, where we read this and say, okay, I get it. God wants my trust, and if I give him my trust, he will bless me with the things I want. Right? It's a simple equation and this is, a, like I said, a, a very popular misrepresentation of this passage or other passages in Scripture which talk about God's blessing for us. This is what we would call a prosperity gospel, where we think that we can basically uh, make God or trick God into giving us our, the desires of our heart simply by, as it says, placing our trust in him. This is uh, not the Jesus gospel. So if this is the incorrect way of reading a passage like this, how should we... Um, interpret it. Whoever trusts in the Lord will prosper. We should interpret Proverbs 28:25 to mean that real prosperity is only experienced while a person places their trust in the Lord. Real prosperity is only experienced while we place our trust in the Lord. So it's not about tricking God to give me what I want because I've placed my trust in Him like He asked. 
But while I choose to trust in God instead of other things, instead of my bank account, instead of myself, instead of material objects, I will prosper. I will be prosperous under the assurance that God is blessing me in my life. In the, in the security that God is worthy of my trust and that I can rest in this. And, and that in and of itself is prosperity beyond measure. Um, I wanted to read what Paul has to say in one of his letters to, to Timothy about this kind of um, misinterpretation of this passage as well, and then we'll carry on. First Timothy, First Timothy 6, starting at verse 5, where I've taken the liberty to quickly summarize what Paul has been saying and just label these people as fools, because this is congruent with uh, the, the dichotomy in Proverbs, there's the foolish person and the wise person. So let's keep thinking this way, uh, starting in verse 5. Fools imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these But those who want to be rich, they fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Do you think that uh, Paul has read the Proverbs? And here's the famous verse, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. So it's hard to talk about greed and money and materialism without this passage from 1 Timothy, so I wanted to go there. We have the wisdom of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, and he's giving him advice, and it stands for us as well, that those who imagine that life with God will ultimately bring about material blessing are on the wrong track. Those people are mistaken. Instead, Paul suggests that Life with God will lead us to contentment. Life with God will lead us to contentment, which is actually the greater gain. Learning to be content with what we have. If we can be content with little or with lots, as Paul says in Philippians, then you've gained more than the wealthiest person on earth because we're not under the burden of chasing wealth out of a greedy heart. Contentment liberates us Let's turn back to Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 23, 4 to 5. Like I said, there's lots of verses which teach against greed and materialism, so I wanted to read a few. Here it says, Do not toil to acquire wealth, but be discerning enough to desist. Basically, know when to stop. Know when to stop working. Uh, Because when your eyes light on it, it's gone. Suddenly it sprouts wings. It flies like an eagle towards heaven. So when we work for the sole purpose of amassing as much money or as stuff as we possibly can, then we will never be satisfied. We just won't. As soon as we think we'll be happy, then I love this picture. That thing just flies off into the sky. It's like chasing a butterfly, right? It's futile. It's it's pointless. And simply, it's exhausting, Keep this up. 
This is what materialism does for us. So do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. What's worse is that while we endlessly seek for this comfort of wealth, we'll be uh, missing out on that contentment which we've been talking about, won't we? The contented life that God has already set out for us with him. Proverbs 21:17 speaks of this. It says, The one who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. If we are preoccupied with becoming rich in this lifetime, then we're headed towards a dead end. As we read in 1 Timothy, we came into this world naked and broken. That's the same way we'll go out of the you know, material world as we know it. What truly matters, on the other hand, according to Scripture, is eternal life, God's kingdom, our treasure stored in heaven instead of on earth in the name of Jesus. I want to read again, this time from 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's advice. He says, Understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, be proud, be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unstoppable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These people have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people, First Timothy 3, 1-5. If we love pleasure instead of God, we deny the power of God in our lives. We're missing the mark altogether. And no, it's not wrong to experience happiness, pleasure, comfort, or anything like that. That's not what Paul says, and that's not what I'm saying. Rather, if we love these things in place of God, then we're mistaken. Do we love pleasure instead of God? Paul says, avoid people like this, and certainly let's make wise decisions to avoid becoming people like this ourselves. When it comes to you know, self-reflection and thinking about a topic like this, the problem with it is that we tend to think that these proverbs or, or, or this teaching is probably for someone else. You know, Maybe someone pops into your mind and is like, well, I should have invited them to church on this Sunday because they've got a problem with greed. Um, you know, whether it's someone you know or your, your neighbor with something that they've purchased and you, whatever. But this kind of arrogance leads us away uh, from, from wisdom, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if you have little or have a lot. We're all able to give in to a temptation to be greedy people. Greed is a sin that's been an issue for as long as time. What's more is I think that a lot of sin is like this, but greed in particular is one that's so easy to keep completely concealed, hidden from other people, and it's just in our hearts, right? As far as anyone else can tell, we're, we're fine, you know? But in our hearts, we're motivated, we're compelled by materialism and greed,
So remember at the beginning, uh, Lady Wisdom, she calls to us, right? She calls to us to learn from her. And, and this morning I urge you simply to consider how you may gain wisdom about this topic as well and be able to turn away from it when tempted, wherever you, whatever uh, situation you're in. Jesus put it simply in Matthew 6:24. No one can serve two masters since either he'll hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. The point being you can't serve both God and money. You cannot serve God and serve money. Are we greedy people or are we content? Again, not to beat ourselves up, feel bad about having things or making money or anything like that. That's not what this is about today. But I think that it's clear from the Proverbs and from Scripture that greed is not wise, it's not good for us, It doesn't please the Lord. So we should challenge ourselves to simply ask if we are devoted to God or devoted to money. Are we lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of God? And I have a couple questions to help us wrestle with this um, and possible solutions to these questions. And I've been wrestling with these questions all week as I've prepared and prayed for this. So I implore you to also... I think carefully not to necessarily jump to quick conclusions or, like I said, to brush this off as a message that's you know better suited for someone else, um, but, to, but to be prayerful and humble and seeking God's wisdom about our perspectives on money. So I think the first thing that we can ask ourselves in general is do we have a wise perspective on money and material objects? Is, is, our, is our view on things one which is informed by uh, the gospel of Jesus or, or something else, our culture or misinterpretations or whatever? For example, is money a way for me to assign myself value or another person value? Do I measure value and worth in general based on material things? Do I categorize people according to their wealth or lack thereof? And as I list these things, I feel like I'm, I'm saying completely normal stuff. You know, things that is, that's prevalent and perfectly acceptable, um, generally speaking, to live this way. But it's not wise. It's not wise for us to think like this. And as Christians, like I said, about a prosperity gospel, sometimes we take this a step further and we, this kind of thinking and we make it religious, where I feel loved by God based on the amount of stuff that he's blessed me with. This goes against a lot of biblical thinking, but we're easily swayed into this. If we, like I said, associate material wealth with true value, or, or, or money with, with how much God loves us or, or blessings with our bank account or whatever. We should stay away from this type of thinking. I think to fix this, there's lots of things we can do, but one thing is to remind ourselves that all people are created by God in the image of him And that all are of great value according to the love that Jesus has poured out on humanity. 
Now, this is, you know, basic gospel stuff, but if we understand this, that a person's value is fixed by God, then we'll no longer go around assigning people's value based on what they do or do not have, right? This tosses our materialism to the side when we see our brothers and sisters as, as equally created and loved by our Father God. So we can escape greed by thanking God as we understand that he's the source of every good thing, but not getting confused where we equate the things that we have with symbols of, of value given to us by God. Sometimes this is a fine line. But we're wise to understand that God's love is not measured in worldly things. So the first thing we can ask ourselves is, you know, to see maybe if we are struggling with greed is just think about the way that we view money and value and let God inform these areas of our life and perhaps change the way that we view them or view people. Uh, the second question or another one that we can ask ourselves is, is the flip side of greed. To me, the opposite of greed would be generosity. Right? If, if greed is, is working tirelessly to amass as much as we can and keep it for ourselves, well, generosity does the opposite and it, uh, is quick to, to bless others, to be gracious in giving away. Are we generous? Or am I reluctant to give my things away? Do I struggle to be generous when the opportunity is presented in front of me? There's so many times where I've found it very hard to part with my money or my stuff. And this goes into other areas of life too, whether it's, it's time or, or just energy or whatever, right? It's easy to, be, to feel selfish and entitled to what we have been given. And to me, this is a sign of, of greed in my heart. So unsurprisingly, the antidote to this kind of thinking, to not being generous, is to begin generosity, to live generously. In a world which believes that all we have is this life on earth, so we should get rich or die trying, I think that there's perhaps no better witness to our transformation than to be generous with one another and with, and with the world. As the Lord gives to us freely, over and over, above and beyond, we should have no other response than to show this sort of grace to others. Um, in spite of being told this over and over, we don't actually own what we have, do we? In James it says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. <clears throat> Every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So with this knowledge of, of who God is, uh, how he's blessed us, his grace for us, are we willing to be like him in our generosity? Are we willing to be like God, a generous God, in our generosity to others? <clears throat> Please don't take this as financial advice. I'm not telling you to, you know, give everything away or do something crazy. I'm just asking us to, to pray and think carefully 
about where we are called to be generous and what that would look like and to be joyful and faithful in our generosity. Because greed harms us. Greed keeps us in a place where, we, where we're discontent. We think we don't have what we need. But the fact is, God has given us these things. One person said that generosity is wealth and that greed is poverty. Generosity is wealth, whereas greed is poverty. Can we agree with this? King Solomon tells us something very similar in Proverbs 11, 24 to 28. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what's right, only to become poor. A generous, now remember, as we learned at the start, Proverbs are not promises or equations which we simply plug in and, and gain, but they are principles for living. So one person gives freely yet gains more, another withholds what's right only to become poor. The generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to the one who sells it. The one who searches for what is good seeks favor, But if someone looks for trouble, it will come to him. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. In that last verse, you can see that the problem is not with wealth, but it's our attitude towards it. Uh, Solomon doesn't say anyone that has riches will fall. He says if you're trusting in your riches, you're going to fall. And again, he talks about righteousness as we are talking about at the start with trusting in God. The righteousness will flourish like foliage. So ultimately what we need to ask ourselves this morning, I think, is are we willing to lay down whatever wealth we have to follow Jesus? Have we actually made room for him as as king of our lives and our hearts? Or are there barriers in place that are stopping us from obedience in a faithful life with him? Are we more like the the rich man from Matthew 19 who uh, approached Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be saved? I've done all this great stuff and and I think I'm you know, ready to follow you. Jesus knew that greed was in his heart, so he said, okay, just, you know, lay down your riches and you can come with me. And if you've heard this story, you'll recall that um, he turned around and walked away uh, depressed because Jesus had touched on something in his life that he wasn't willing to surrender. There's so much more to say about this topic and read in scripture about material wealth, uh, about greed. Almost half of Jesus' parables uh, deal with money or materialism. And 10% of the verses in the gospel directly speak of money or material objects. 10% of the verses in the Gospels talk about this topic. So it matters. But for us today, as we continue to study the Proverbs and, and pray for wisdom, I believe that our understanding is that greed is not wise. It goes against the wisdom that God has laid out for us, and it, it leads us away from prosperity into death. So I invite us to remain in the wisdom of Jesus by refusing the love of money and to seek his kingdom first, um, for us to lay down our idols and surrender them to God, whatever they may be, 
for the gift of life is here for us. The eternal gain is ours, and his grace is given freely and generously to us as we seek him. So let's learn how to, let's, or perhaps let's unlearn uh, the things that we've been taught about money and, and how um, they're symbols of value and worth in this world. But rather, um, we can view the blessings of God as generosity, the generosity of our Savior. And as challenging as it is, I pray that we can continue to learn to be content in all things because of the presence of God in our midst. In conclusion, I wanted to read a a quote from Daniel and Jonathan Aiken. Richards won't ultimately make you happy. But Solomon says that wisdom will. The main reason is that wisdom is not ultimately a thing. Wisdom is a person you can have a personal relationship with. It's Jesus. So get Jesus at any cost, because nothing you could ever desire compares to him.